Welcome. You're listening to sermons and talks from Providence Church in Brisbane. We believe that God speaks to us through His Word, the Bible. So we pray that as you listen, you'll be encouraged and challenged to love Jesus and live for Him. For more information about Providence Church, please visit our website, www.providencechurch.com. Which again is Ephesians 6, 5 to 9, on page 815. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear, and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that you uh, love us enough to bring us your word uh, in the Bible, and that we can hear from you, we can hear your voice through it, and that we can uh, understand your character and understand how we, uh, as your people, can live under it. And we do pray that as we uh, sit under it today, uh, that you will, uh, by your Spirit, uh, open our hearts to, re- to receive it and to consider how our lives can be a reflection of, of Christ in our day-to-day, especially in the way that we approach our work. So we do pray for that now uh, in your son's name. Amen. First question, who here uses LinkedIn, the app, LinkedIn? Who here has a LinkedIn account? Hands up high, come on, let's see. Okay, there's a lot of you guys, right? Let's say 70% of the room uses LinkedIn. LinkedIn is a platform, if you don't know, an app where you create a profile and you list out your credentials, your accolades, which is like, appears like a resume, your profile picture, so you can get recruited. You can get uh, poached for jobs uh, when people find you. So it's like a, a social media platform uh, for your career, essentially. Now, if you've ever written a CV or resume, you know that you have to talk yourself up, right? You have to talk about how hardworking you are, how diligent you are, how you have attention to detail, how conscientious you are, how educated or experienced you are, and you put your best foot forward. Don't we all do that when we write our resume? Uh, We use these big words, we talk ourselves up so that company that's hiring you will be impressed. LinkedIn, right, is this space where you create a profile and you literally do that. You do this humble brag of your experience, what you've achieved in your life, and how great you are in the field of expertise. So... I got on LinkedIn yesterday. I don't have a LinkedIn account. I used Heidi's account. And uh, I took some screenshots of some of the LinkedIn profiles of members of our church. Uh, and here's the first one. It's Luke, Luke Huang. I love this picture of Luke. He looks really, really smart. He's, you might know him as one of the elders in our church. He's cringing right now. Now, I've never, for one, I've never seen Luke wear like this corporate wear, full suit. Like if you know Luke at home, he's singlet shorts all the time, thongs when he goes out. That's him. That's, he hates wearing pants. I'll, I'll tell you that. Like he's wearing shorts today. Uh, but this is the corporate world. He has to put on a, you know, a suit. He has to put his best foot forward and, and get suited up for the photo. Now take note of that first line he writes. What does he say? He's a passionate financial planner. Yeah. Passionate financial planning professional. That's what he says about himself. He's not an average financial planner. He's not an apathetic, indifferent, mediocre, fine. He's a passionate one. 
the next one. I've got Ian, his brother. Ian Huang. Again, I've never seen Ian look so smart in his life, but as in like dressed smartly. Um, but again, that first line, what does it say? I'm a passionate and knowledgeable financial services professional. I didn't know you were that passionate about financial services, Ian. <laughs> Thirdly, I've got our boy David, who's leading us today. David, for one, look, let's look at this picture. Wow, that power pose, <laughs> right? He's got his arms crossed, and you can tell that he's in HR, human resources, right? Because he knows what the recruiters want in person. Yeah, someone who's that confidence, right? He's doing it right now. He's just got arms crossed right there, confidence. And the first line, I'm a highly motivated and hard-working individual. Now, I don't know. I don't always feel that way when I'm around you, David, that you're, you're highly motivated. Um, not when I chat to you at church, at least, but come on. Uh, I love that, right? And I got their permission, so don't worry. I'm not just roasting them for fun. Uh, I did get their permission that I would share their LinkedIn. They didn't know what I was going to say about it. But uh, some of the people in our church who have a LinkedIn profile, right? Now, for, I don't have one, but Heidi wanted to roast me, so she came up with a few words. If I had an honest LinkedIn profile, this is what it would say, a transparent version of who I am and my work ethic. Mikey Tai, I'm a passionate and productive individual, but only between the hours of 9 p.m. and 1 a.m. <laughs> Highly enthusiastic, but only when I think it's worth my time. Great at giving constructive criticism, especially when you're wrong. I can be a team player, provided the team doesn't come up with ridiculously inefficient ideas. <laughs> I don't like this last one. It's pretty, it's, it's mean, but it says, lastly, you can trust that I'm always right. <laughs> Am I really that arrogant? Oh. Honest LinkedIn profile right there. Now, I don't know if I'd get a job if that was my LinkedIn profile, but if I was honest, yeah, sure. That's what it'd be. And I think it's funny, isn't it? We put on our LinkedIn profile, we've applied for these jobs, and we, we, we embellish a little bit our accolades, our, our descriptions. They don't always match up with who we are in real life, who we are outside the hustle and the work life. Yet that's the identity, isn't it, that we want people to know us for so that we can get our foot through the door. We approach our resumes and job interviews with this, uh, with, uh, with, uh, this heightened level of enthusiasm and excitement, when realistically, the jobs that we're applying for, when you, get, you actually get the job, it actually feels like you're working for a paper company, isn't it? Like one called Dunder Mifflin, where your boss is like Michael Scott. You know, it's just boring. That's, that's the Office sitcom, if you haven't watched it. And, and you spend your days scrolling social media, and every day is just super slow and boring. It doesn't sound like a highly passionate, you know, you're passionate about your users there to, to clock hours. Sometimes that's what work feels like. Or perhaps you land a job and you are meeting all those expectations. You're hustling to the point where you're, you're, you're grinding in the office. You're doing overtime. You're doing weekends at the sacrifice of your family, at the sacrifice of your church, at the sacrifice of your faith, your own health and your well-being. Passionate, hardworking, motivated. They're all good things. But when we get the job and we find ourselves in the daily grind, in the daily hustle, what will shape who we are and how we approach our work? What attitude will you have each day you walk through the doors of the office or the clinic or the classroom? We need to first start with who we are. Who are you? How do you identify yourself? Are you a passionate financial planning professional? Is that your identity? Or whatever else you describe yourself with, what is your identity? That's the first point I have today, our identity. 
Our culture tells us that our identity is shaped around what we do. Our jobs are essentially a marker of who we are. So if we studied, we got the experience uh, for so many years to become that, that doctor, that engineer, that, that tradie, that teacher, that person in hospitality or retail, we've done all the work and experience, that's who we are now. That's, that's, and that's really all we are, it becomes our identity. It's interesting, if you go back into history, right, the names that we have, especially in the West, the names uh, that we have uh, was shaped by what we did for our work, right? So uh, in the West, you know, a common last name for uh, many of our friends is the, is the name Smith. Why? Why is that such a popular last name? Because it comes from a, a lineage of people whose job was, was to be a blacksmith or to be a locksmith or to be a gunsmith, whatever, a smith, whatever smith you want to be. Uh, that's where it came from. Or perhaps your last name is Taylor. Where is Elise? Taylor, right? <laughs> because you come from uh, ancestors who were tailors. They, they worked with clothes or, or baker because they baked bread. Their jobs were so defining of who they were and it became their identity, literally. But today we're also tempted to do that still, aren't we? We ask each other, what do you do? And we shape our opinions of each other on what their job is. It's part of their identity. But is that how we should see ourselves? Isn't that just a, a, a really shaky foundation in our modern world where we often change jobs and we change careers multiple times through our lifetime? How can that be our identity when we're always changing jobs? Or perhaps maybe instead we want to identify ourselves by our hobbies. In our spare time, I'm a gamer, I'm a gardener, I'm a photography enthusiast. But even our hobbies change, don't they? We get over our hobbies and we move on to a new hobby. They can't be our lasting identity. Perhaps you identify yourself by your parents, by your family of origin. I'm a Thai, that's my surname, I'm a Thai, I'm Australian-born Chinese, that's how I identify myself. Sure, those things do make up part of your identity, but do they define you? Is that how you go through each day defining yourself as that? Sure, they make up part of who you are, but when we read the Bible as Christians, as the church, let's think about this. It's who we believe in Jesus. We have to start with who we believe in. It's in Jesus. We have to begin with God and Him and the great identity we've been given through Him. One that doesn't fade away after retirement, but lasts into eternity. I've got some Bible passages up on the screen for you. Colossians 3 is the first one. It says, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on the things above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Do I have that? Yes. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, and you'll also appear with him in glory. Then you go down to verse 17, it says, Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. I've got a couple more. 1 Peter 2.9 says, You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. That's your identity. You're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's people. Galatians 2 says, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. This life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. See, when we know the love of Christ, the, the sacrifice that he made for us on the cross, the, the compassion, the mercy, the grace, when we come to the saving knowledge of God through Jesus, we've been given new identities, greater ones. We're now sons and daughters of the Most High God. We're, now, uh, we're not defined by our ethnicity or our career or what we do. It's actually defined by who God has made us in Jesus. We're now in Christ. So when we think about the hustle, we strive and we do so much, don't we, to achieve uh, our dreams and our successes, hoping that's who we become 
If we do these things, we become these people. We see, that, we see the influences on social media, don't we? We want to be those influences. And we think, if we just hustle, I can be that too. I can be the entrepreneur. I can, I can uh, be the, uh, the, 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 the leader in my field. I can have independence, whether it's in my career or financial independence. We hustle because we think that identity we can achieve by our own sweat and merits. That identity can satisfy our insatiable souls. Will it? Will we ever achieve a status that fulfills us? In the Christian faith, you don't need to strive to become someone. Christ himself has made you his. Yes, we, we do. Often we want the, the recognition. We want the applause. We want the affirmation, the validation from our peers, from our family, from the stranger we meet at the gym or the gathering or the big function. We want to shake their hands and be proud of our titles, our status. But what if you already got that from the one who truly matters? What if you got that from the God who created you and is the king of the universe? Your success and achievements are defined by the Son of God himself who has died for you, who covers your sins. It's by him and his resurrection that you live now under this greater status, a greater title than anything the world can ever offer you. And what if that changed the way we saw others as well? Those who look like they have it all together, those who have that successful career, the expensive clothes and fashion, the lavish restaurants where they wine and dine, wealth and all that stuff that we think the world tells us is a good life. What if we change the way we see them? What if they're the ones actually enslaved to an identity that the world has shallowly really given them? Disguised as the good life, but really just an empty shell. You and I, we're made to be children of God. We're known and we're recognized by the king. Why does it matter so much what others think about you? Why are you so stressed? That's our identity. Let's read Ephesians 6 again that Sam read for us earlier. Paul says in verse 5, Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear, with the sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people. See, when we approach our work, we approach it knowing that our boss is actually Jesus. He's the one that we ultimately work for. He's the one who provided the job for us. He gave us the skills, the abilities, the opportunities. You know, we can talk ourselves up on our LinkedIn profiles, but all that stuff about who we are and our ethic, our work ethic, the, the education, the opportunities, the experience, God gave you that so you could have that job that you're in today. Now, in this passage, we've got to address this idea. He mentioned slaves. Let's understand that first. Slavery was not a system that was widely abused as we know slavery today. People weren't seen as objects to be traded, uh, 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 like we saw with, with African slavery of the Europeans and Americans. But in ancient times, people chose to be bonded to families, to pay off debts perhaps, to be provided for. They actually, uh, slaves actually had a decent standard of living. If you actually go into the history of slavery, especially in ancient times, you'll see that many people who were slaves were, were bankers, were doctors, were uh, people who were educated. They chose to be bonded to masters because in itself it was a way to be provided for. 
right? And this was, this was basically a way to make a living, a way to um, be cared for, uh, uh, like, like Centrelink, all right? Today we have Centrelink. If you're struggling, you get welfare. There's a welfare system. There was no welfare system back then. This was it. Slavery was a, a way to pay off your debts and to be provided for. So it wasn't all that bad. It was a norm in the culture. So that's why Paul is addressing slavery here. But he says to them, Christian slaves, if you're a Christian, this is how you approach your work. You're called to work for your masters, yes, but you're called to work for Jesus ultimately. He's your ultimate master. Since you recognize Jesus as your Lord and Savior, as your sovereign Lord has placed you, you have a higher command. You have a boss that's higher than your company. You work for, for a king. Now, if that's true, we work for Jesus, that overflows into huge implications, doesn't it? It should, it should affect the way you approach your work and your attitude to it, if Jesus is your boss. But this is what we do. We wear many hats, don't we? We wear our work hat, our family hat, our social life hat, our church life hat. Like, uh, like a one-person drama, we play all these different roles and we play differently. So we, uh, we put on the different hats depending on our different circumstances, who we're surrounded by. When I'm at work, I put on my worker hat, right? Let me give you an example. If you're in customer service and you pick up the phone, what voice do you use? You don't use your normal voice, do you? Uh, you, you, you go, like for me, I go pitch higher. Hi, hi, I'm Mike. <coughs> you know, uh, Heidi would always share with me when she worked at a dentist back when she was in uni. Uh, Hello, Better Smile Dentist Center, this is Heidi. That's how she'd always do it. That's how she'd pick up a phone. It wasn't Heidi's normal voice. This is the same thing with me. Uh, but if you called me up on a Saturday and I said, and you, you know, you were talking about, I'd say, hey, what's up? That's how I'd respond to you. Hey, what do you want? You know, uh, that's, that's, that's my normal voice. But when we go to work, we put on this work. How we, teachers, you know this. When you teach in your classrooms, you guys have a teacher voice. It's, a, you know, it's the same thing, right? We put on our professionalism at work. At home, you play a different role. You'll be the husband or wife or the father or mother, mother or the son or daughter, brother or sister. On a Saturday night, you play the friend hat, right? You're a listening ear, really caring. You're available to hang. On Sundays, you'll go to church and you'll put on that, that Christian hat where you'll sing songs, you'll pray for people around you, you you'll encourage them and be very kind. <laughs> but is that how the Bible portrays who we are when we belong to Jesus? When we follow Jesus, we have a completely new identity. It's not temporary, based on the seasons of life or where you find yourself. It colors everything. How you work, how you relate to others, how you socialize, how you speak and act. Think about it. You don't go back to being not a Christian when you walk through the doors, when you walk out those doors today. When you walk through the doors of the office or the clinic on Monday. The faith in your heart, the identity that you now have as a child of God, as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, is the identity you have regardless of whether you're at church or at home or at school or at work. Whether you're in your social circles or whether you're even at the nightclubs on a Saturday night, wherever you are. You take the identity of being a disciple of Jesus everywhere you go because you belong to Jesus. So when people meet you, when people meet you, there should be an impression that, you, that shows that you aren't just a doctor or a teacher or an engineer or a tradie or an office worker. Your identity is in something greater. Their impression you make is to show them Jesus. You see, God has put you in a role in your work, and he's the one who you work for ultimately. Yes, we do need to comply with our boss. We do need to be a team player. Yes, we do have to agree with organization values and, and, and all that to fulfill your duties. But when we work for Jesus, that means there's going to be an integrity to your job, isn't there? How you work 
uh, will be influenced and shaped by your faith, how Jesus calls you to live. You'll be called to be someone who is a light to others, someone of love, of grace and compassion and mercy, someone who, who is honest, who doesn't participate in the gossip and slander around the, wa- the, the water cooler, who doesn't cut corners and cheats people, but makes things beautiful and structured. And you put in the, the hours at work and you're willing to own your mistakes, not blame others. You're willing to apologize if you've stuffed up to your colleagues. Imagine that. Be someone who is gentle and hardworking and diligent, attention to detail, all that good stuff that you said in your resume. Why? Because of verse 6. Obey them not to only win their favor when their eyes on you, but as slaves of Christ. Doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people. Because you operate from a heart that knows the love of God for you. You want to work to honor the God in your life, your God. Let's think about when it let's think about what this won't look like though which we need to be aware of in the way that we approach work, what it won't look like. I'm taking uh, this framework right from this book called Gospel at Work by Sebastian Traeger. I highly recommend you grab it. It's a short book. Read it. It's really helpful. The first is the danger of being idle. I-D-L-E. I've got it. Idle uh, as a worker for God. Are we going to be idle? God wants us to work because it means that, uh, yes, it's it's necessary for our survival. Will we be idle in the way we work? 2 Thessalonians 3. I've got this on the screen. Let's read it together. It says this. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. We were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we worked night and day, laboring and toiling so that we would not be a burden to any of you. We did this, not because we do not have the right to such help, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you to imitate. Even when we were with you, we gave you this rule, the one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. We hear that some among you are idle and disruptive. They're not busy. They're busy bodies. Such people we command in the Lord Jesus to settle down and earn the food that they eat. And as for you, brothers and sisters, never tire of doing what is good. You see, being idle in your work is, yes, being lazy, being unproductive, spending all days scrolling Facebook or taking longer lunch breaks than you should be getting paid for that. It does look like being slack and unfruitful. God says if you're living off the dole and are unwilling to work, then you shouldn't eat. Let's, the, let's allow the gospel to speak into our lives. When we discover idleness, uh, when we think about idleness, we also have to think about the attitude to work. Sometimes our idleness looks like complaining and whinging about having to get out of bed each day. Sometimes our idleness looks like doing a half-hearted job in our work that's been given to you to complete. It's about thinking that your job is meaningless when Ephesians 6 tells us it's actually been given to you by God to serve him wholeheartedly in, not half-heartedly. This is what idleness can look like. Imagine if you did treat work like you were cutting corners, making mistakes um, because you couldn't be bothered, being a rude co-worker to others, and then your boss and colleagues found out that you're a Christian that goes to church. Tell me, do you think you'd make Jesus look good in those moments, being idle? Serve God wholeheartedly in your work because you work not as means to an end, not as a necessary evil, but as a form of worship to God in a way to respond in joy to the one who has saved you and loves you. You know, I see the danger of idleness in the church, in our work here as a church community. You know, we often are faithful in the way we serve God at church. You'll rock up and you'll, you'll serve in a ministry, you'll go to your missional community each week, you'll serve your group, you'll be an active disciple to Jesus on a Sunday. But when it comes to work, you don't need to be a Christian there. You're not there to serve God, so you struggle to be the same faithful person you are on a Sunday. God says when you work, you're called to worship Him. So we can't pretend that God doesn't care about our work. 
God wants us to be faithful and have integrity, not a heart of idleness. But let's look at the other end of the spectrum to idleness. What often we see instead is that we make work our idol. Have you made your work and the hustle an idol in your life? You see, idol idolatry in the Bible, ancient times, would refer to statues made out of wood and stone. Today, our idolatry has become more subtle, hasn't it? We see it in the culture. The stadium becomes our temple. The office is our temple. The gym is our temple. The social media app, Netflix, that's our temple where we go to worship. We might not burn incense, but we offer up our bodies to the gods of beauty and sex, our minds and our attention to the gods of pleasure and recognition and control and validation, or whatever else it is that your heart so desires. So many of us, we're so passionate about our jobs, which is great, what they, but what they provide for, but we're passionate for what, they, for what they provide for us. Money, status, identity, pleasure, purpose. And so our work captures our hearts and devotion. We give ourselves to them day in and day out. They become the primary object of our passions, our energy, and our love. And we may not be willing to admit it, but the hustle culture, the narrative of success and status, is essentially telling us to do what? It's to worship our jobs and what comes with it. And so we see it when our life revolves around our work. We see it when it gives us our identity, our status, even our worth. Wow. Have you ever heard yourself tell you that? Tell yourself that. You're worth, you're not worth anything unless you achieve in life. That's so toxic. It's such a big lie that we tell ourselves. If we don't succeed, we're not worth anything. Isn't that so sad? But that's the narrative so many people live with. When we believe our work and our achievements give us life, when we bow down to it, when we make sacrifices uh, for it, we're idolizing it. Uh, there's an example of how this plays out in the Bible. There's a story of, you know, in Jesus' life, uh, a young rich ruler comes to him and says uh, to Jesus, how do I in inherit eternal life? Jesus gives him an answer, follow God's commandments. And the young man says, yeah, I've been doing all that all my life. And Jesus says, you lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor. Then come follow me. And the, the Bible says this young rich ruler, this man became very sad because he was very wealthy. And so he walked away. And what Jesus does at that moment, he reveals a man's heart. His idol was his wealth and the security that provided for him that kept him from following Jesus. What is it that's stopping you from following Jesus? What is it that you're worshipping that matters more to you than Jesus? Right? If we can conclude, can't we, that an idol is something you desire more than you desire Jesus. So dissect your hearts. Is that your work? There's a Christian counselor, a biblical counselor, and author in the U.S., David Pallison. I've got his quote on the screen. He's got some great books. He says this, The basic question to the human heart is, has something or someone besides Jesus taken title to your heart's functional trust, preoccupation, loyalty, service, fear, and delight? To who or what do you look for life-sustaining stability, security, and acceptance? What do you really want and expect out of life? What would really make you happy? What would make you an acceptable person? Where do you look for power and success? These questions or similar ones tease out whether we serve God or idols, whether we look for salvation from Jesus or from false saviors. Let me ask you, are you often overworked, driving yourself into the ground, asking yourself, I must have this thing to be fulfilled and significant? I know so many millennials are on the verge of burnout, hoping to make it, to achieve that elusive dream that the hustle promises yet rarely delivers. I was listening to this podcast, and I've recommended it before, Fight, Hustle, and End Hurry. You should listen to it. It's really helpful. Um, it's a good, solid podcast, relevant to our busy lives. 
fight, hustle, and hurry. Uh, one of the hosts, John Mark Kerman, talks about it, uh, that we come to worship the hustle culture. I've got a quote on the screen from it and paraphrased it, but it says, as humans, we all want to make sense of the world. We're meaning-making machines, so work has become the meaning to our lives. In the gospel of work, success, and the hustle culture, we're told we have to work hard to get the rewards and fulfillment we want in this world. So work, for many people, has replaced the role of religion. And when we worship our work and we get sucked uh, when we worship our work, we get sucked into the hustle culture. You see, what he's saying is the hustle culture is really a result of the worship of work in our life. We get sucked into that because we think work is going to be ultimate. The Bible is clear on idolatry. Colossians 3, 2 to 5. I'm just going to read the last one. It says, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil, desires, and greeds, which is idolatry. If anything is taking you away from fixing your eyes on Jesus as the God we worship, then kill it. Put the idolatry to death. Ask yourself, what are you a slave to? What have you bonded yourself to? Is it truly life-giving or does it come with a facade? Is it a pretender to make you think and feel a certain way but cripples you when you lose it? Does it promise satisfaction and contentment but leaves you feeling empty and always needing more? You might not even be a Christian here today, okay? But there are so many studies being done, even now, how if we're putting our identity in our work and our hustle, then you'll be left disappointed and frustrated, struggling with who you are and what you're living for. I came across an article on the BBC News website about it. They were quoting uh, a lecturer, professor of psychology in Ontario, Anne Wilson, and she said this, If you tie your self-worth to your career, the successes and failures you experience will directly affect your self-worth. And because we live in a society where careers are less likely to be lifelong, if we switch or find ourselves out of a job, it can also become an identity crisis. It leads us to this state called enmeshment, she says. Enmeshment, where the boundaries between work and personal life are blurred. There are some common signs of enmeshment, like thinking about work whenever you aren't there, bringing up your job within the first three minutes of a conversation, uh, enmeshment allows the job to eat up one's time and identity, leaving spa- less space for hobbies and interests. It makes it harder to connect with people who aren't a part of your working life. Enmeshment, it's a psychological thing. That doesn't need to be our destiny. It particularly shouldn't be our destiny for the Christian. If you're a child of God in Jesus, and that's our primary identity, a slave to Christ, we have to be really vigilant, don't we, about what around us is influencing our hearts. What is filling our minds, leading us to worship the things that, and ideas that aren't God? Now, I'm not sure about you, but I know my work can be so consuming at times. Uh, it affects my relationships with others. It affects the way I see myself. I, we strive so much for that validation and security that when we don't get it, it cripples us. Uh, another quote from Tim Keller, U.S. pastor. If work is our identity, then when you're, success, when you're successful, it gets to your head. But if you're a failure, it goes to your heart. It's generally true, isn't it? When you're successful, it gets to your head, but if you're a failure, it goes to your heart. It's why receiving criticism can be so hard and why validation in our work is so important to some of us. We've elevated work to that position where it becomes what defines us and as a result enslaves us and shapes us. And we're always left asking, what will I do? Will will what I do ever be enough to quench that insatiable thirst for more? Let's instead have a new narrative on how we approach work. Let's operate from an identity in Jesus that overflows in faithfulness. Instead of worshipping work, work itself, let work itself be a way of how we can worship God. 
When we shape our approach to work with faithfulness, you also find that it shapes the rest of our lives as well. Think about it. God has called you to be faithful in Him in all spheres of life. Work isn't the one thing that you give your heart to. While you spend many hours of your week in work, you also have family and friends and your church, and you have God. And God calls you to be faithful in every sphere of life. Yet, when we idolize our work, what happens? We end up being unfaithful in one of those other areas. Unfaithful to our family, perhaps. A perfect example of this is, is, is the great Elon Musk, right? The great entrepreneur who tells us to work 80 to 100 hours a week. That's what he does. You know, the, the, if you don't know him, he, he, he's the guy who started Tesla and in SpaceX. Uh, he's kicking goals, right? He, he's doing really well. He's going to take the human species to Mars one day or whatever. But at what cost? At what cost? If you read into his life, he's had three divorces. He just recently, uh, and multiple kids. He's recently just split with uh, his last partner, Grimes, the musician, uh, who he just had a baby with as well. You know, it, it's crazy because if you look into his, uh, into his life and interviews in the past, he says he struggled with loneliness all his life. Yet he's also got this trail of broken relationships because he'd rather put all his hours into work. Yeah, he might be smashing goals at work, but he's not going well in relationships, is he? Doesn't that also happen with our church family? When we get so consumed by our work, we end up unfaithful to the church family God calls us to love because we prioritize the hustle more than our brothers and sisters. And in doing so, we're unfaithful to God, who in the Bible speaks of not neglect, neglecting each other to regularly meet, to encourage, to love one another in our church family. We actually are unfaithful to God in those moments. When our work and our hustle consumes us, it comes at a cost. What sacrifices are you making on the altar of work that is more important than worshiping God and loving those around you that God calls you to love? You see, the world will keep telling us to set goals for your life. The goals for us as Christians, though, is who God wants us to be. Your goal in your life is faithfulness to Him. First and foremost in your work, regardless of what your work is, God is concerned with your character more than He is with your status or your title or your promotion or your salary or your reputation. Character is what will be seen even when all else fades. The Christian, you will work and you will live differently among your colleagues. You'll be dependable, responsible, a man of, or woman of integrity in the office, people that people can trust and rely on. Yeah, sure, you can do that and not be a Christian. You can be someone who's reliable and all that, but the difference is you do know Jesus. Your motivation comes from a place of blessing. Your work is to please Him. So what matters is not what you're achieving, but who you're serving. Not what you're achieving, but who you're serving. Whether you're teaching kids, flipping burgers at Macca's, or setting, settling million-dollar deals for your clients, your goal still is the same, to be Christ-like. Work in the hustle makes for a very poor God. Worshipping it will leave you struggling with your identity, self-worth, burnout, and even a deep sense of meaninglessness if that's all you are, just your work. But approach work with an attitude of faithfulness in Jesus, and you'll have a new confidence. In your new identity in Jesus, you have value and status and security. We have to look past the smoke and mirrors that work in the hustle culture gives us. It is actually so short-sighted. Your status and your value goes only as far as you can hold work or hold that job? What if you were made redundant tomorrow? What if all those years you studied and worked so hard led to a position in a company that went bankrupt? What if you were in a tragic accident and you lost the ability to work in that dream career? Wouldn't that cripple your soul? Wouldn't it be so easy to spiral out and lose your self-worth? If your identity is shaped by your career and your work, you're going to always feel insecure about what tomorrow will bring 
and how people will see you. In Christ, you have a new confidence. See the security and status that Christ gives you when you work for him. Remember who you are and who you serve and let that transform the whole approach, the whole attitude, the whole experience of the hustle that begins every Monday morning. Earlier, I mentioned our LinkedIn profiles and how uh, when we write our resume, it's all about how great we are, our accolades and how we want to portray ourselves. But if God were to get on LinkedIn and look at your profile, what do you think he's looking for? All your achievements, all the awards and academics and experience, the things that you have done, how hard you've hustled? Or is God going to look at what's under the surface? Is he going to look at your heart, your character, your faithfulness under Jesus, your greater boss? How that marks the way you work, the way you treat your family, the way you love your church, the everyday of life. You see, God doesn't call you to be the most accomplished, high achiever you can be. Your primary calling isn't even to a career. But your calling, and my calling first and foremost, is to be faithful followers of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, help us to see that our identity is in you and in Christ. Help us to see that through Christ's death and his resurrection, we've been given new life, new hope, a new confidence. That when we approach work, our careers, our jobs, whatever it might be, Lord, we can come from a place of security, knowing that we're not working towards a status, we're not working towards a reputation, we're not working towards some sort of, uh, some sort of elusive dream that as if it will satisfy us. No, Lord, we already find that we already have the satisfaction, we already have the security and status that comes in Christ, knowing that we're children of God. Help us to live from that identity. Help us to live a life of faithfulness, not one of uh, idleness or treating work as an idol, but help us to live a life of faithfulness, knowing that Jesus Christ is our ultimate and greater boss. Help us to do that by your Spirit. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.